Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Hope Labs, where we're connecting thought, word, and deed. And I am here today with one of what I call the kings of the D.C. area, Mr. Tony Lewis Jr. Tony, what's up? Man? How are you? Good to see you, man. Always, man. Man, we appreciate you coming by, man. Now, Thanks for having me. Tony, it's a range of things you do, yeah. but really, I wanted to talk to you about all your work that you do. Um, in the reentry community for those sure. who are returning citizens, et cetera. And, and your work isn't just, some people's work is theoretical. Yeah. Some people's work is just because they figured out it's something they want to do. But your work comes from a very personal kind of a space. So talk a little bit uh, about your story first. And then sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm from D.C., as you as you stated. And uh, uh, my, uh, my father went to prison when I was nine years old for, for his role in a, a drug conspiracy here in the district. Um, but... but my, I come from a community, a street, Hanover Place, where the, the underworld was sort of the driving culture in, in my community. Um, and so many of the, the people in my life, family, friends, um, were engaged in that, in that. And so it, obviously incarceration comes along with that. Um, so all my life, uh, from my uncles and other men in my community, even before my dad went to prison, you know, prison has been a part of my life, right? And then obviously when my dad goes to jail, it becomes even more personal. There's no more personal experience than one of your parents going to jail. And so moving forward, growing up in that same community, um, you know, the, the men and the women sometimes in my community went to jail. And so prison had become a very much a part of my reality. Um, and as I would uh, find my purpose, if you will. For initially, I started out working in youth outreach, and then that led me to working with the reentry program in the city. And so I had a, the opportunity to sort of combine my personal and my professional gifts um, or profession, personal professional experiences to help move the needle. Um, and I think I, I, I became somebody that, that was able to reach those that others couldn't reach because people understood how personal it was for right. me. Um, and you know, uh, the other part I think is left out a lot too, is, is just like, yeah, I'm a college graduate. I don't know if I say that enough. Mm -hmm. um, I've never been incarcerated personally myself. Um, and I, so I think the perspective of someone who has been uh, so aligned with uh, incarceration but not being incarcerated himself uh, gave me a certain um, buy-in. Right. Um, where I could meet you where you are, right. but also can help you get to another point. Right. And so many times in this work, um, I feel like it's only about meeting people where they are, mm. right? But isn't that, that, how far does that go? Or how far does that take us if you can't get a person to transform? Right. And I think um, the trust and the belief that people have in me is really rooted in what they've seen. I grew up with many of the people that I serve right. Right. or right. grew up under them, right? They right. know right. me. Right. Uh, and, and I think that's allowed me also to, to have people be more accountable, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And they know how much I care. I, actually, I was talking to my dad um, the other day, and he said a guy, uh, he's in a federal prison in Cumberland, Maryland right now. Um, a guy walked up to him and was just saying that he was in one of my programs, was in my class. Wow. He said, man, I just want to let you know, man, like, your son don't play, man. Right? So he was like, he tripped <laughs> off that. Like, he, over the years, he obviously been locked up with people that's been through our program. Right. He said, but that was the first time somebody really talked about how serious I take the work. Right. And, like, you're not going to just come when you want or disturb the class. Like, right. I'm a real stickler right. for people being accountable. Right. But I think I'm able to hold people to that level of accountability because they know how much I love them, you right. know? Right. Yeah. So. Right. so now, sometimes people can get mixed up, I think, 
they can get so focused on those who are returning or those who have committed crime that they think that's all that reentry or all that prison is about mm. um, when really it's impacting whole families and whole communities. Absolutely. So, share a little bit about like the work you do because the work you do, I know the work you've done, it's not just for those who are coming home, it's not even just for those who are away, but a lot of what you talk about is the impact that a lot of these policies have on the families sure. and how the families are impacted. Indeed, I, I think um, my, my advocacy, particularly around children with incarcerated parents and families with of those incarcerated, um, has really been motivated by my experience, by my mother's experience. Uh, I know that, um, how I would say that incarceration or parental incarceration uh, maybe the greatest destabilizer for a child, mm. right? And I've been saying that for a long time, but now in the data is sort of caught up in saying that, you know, we got these things called ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, mm -hmm. and that if a child has an incarcerated parent, they are much more likely to ha be dealing with other ACEs, mm -hmm. um, as in, like in my situation, having a, a my mother dealt with mental illness, mm -hmm. but things like having a, your other parent having uh, an addiction issue, growing up in poverty, growing up in a community where you see violence, um, and, and and other growing up and you experience discrimination and racism, right. all of those things are, are, are heightened when you have an incarcerated parent. And you're saying in America now, where you got you know um, maybe five million children have had, has had at some point an incarcerated parent. Mm -hmm. Uh, that that is that's walking into our classrooms, that's in our communities, right. and in my opinion, uh, we talking about those families and communities being destabilized has led to other things like gun violence and things of that nature. Right. So I just uh, and through through my book Slug, I wanted to really show that collateral damage right. that my dad going to prison. Look what it spawned, right? right? right. Um, and and that my life though was not unique in that way. Mm -hmm. That it was millions of American families going through this. Right. And so what are we doing? to combat that, right? Particularly, um, like I said, as it relates to the ch children with incarcerated parents in our schools, are, are, are we preparing our teachers for that? Are we height, you know, raising their awareness of what the, what the ramifications can be uh, when a child has an incarcerated parent, when a child goes to visit their parent? Um, just trying to have them to be, have a keen sense of what the possibilities could be um, and also align themselves with faith-based, uh, community-based organizations that can provide those extra supports. Uh, so I often, like in my in my case, I, I always wonder, like, if my mother had somebody that she could talk to, mm. would things have went that far, or as far as they went? Yeah. So that's 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 always been sort of my my motivator. So I, I've tried to create a culture of that where we can support these families. And when you know somebody is locked up, you have to have a, a extra set of like um, interventions ready. Now, th sometimes those people be fine. It's not like saying every single right. family with an incarcerated loved one is going to fall apart. Right. But the likelihood that they could is there, and right. we can't keep ignoring that. Right. I think people are sort of afraid to open Pandora's box. At least right. that's what they feel like. But, you know, my thing is always to them, Pandora's box is already open. <laughs> <laughs> it's just up to you right. if you decide to look at it or not. Right. But it's right. open. Right. Trust me. Right. So, yeah. Right. So from a faith perspective or a church perspective, yeah. how can faith leaders, um, church leaders, um, you know, how, how can, what are some opportunities mm -hmm. for, for them to play a role mm -hmm. or, or to be able to actually do some really good ministry in this space, whether it's in prison, whether it's outside with families? Uh, so, how, how, how do you see that, sure. whether it's people returning home? Or, you know, how do yeah, you see that? I think um, on, a, on, a, on a lot of levels, I, you know, I think some churches do an amazing job of doing like prison ministry mm -hmm. and going into state and federal facilities. Right. Um, but again, taking the extra step, though, like if, you, if you're interacting with men and, and women in these facilities, now where are they families? 
Right. I think it always has to be a part. And so how can the church support their families uh, uh, on the outside? How can the family support their children? And also with, within, I think sometimes within congregations, there may be certain shames or people feel ashamed. But I think uh, we got to free people in the congregation to be transparent about what they're going through. So it's not a stigma. It's not a stigma. Right. And so how can we as a church family support you through this ordeal? I right. think that's essential. Um, on the reentry side, I think things like, you know, um, whether it's uh, programming around job readiness, um, mental health supports, uh, or counseling, if you will, I think sometimes the, the, the our faith leaders can probably do a better job of that, even than, you know, some practitioners. Because just because people be more open to have those conversations with, with their pastor or whatever, um, about what they're going through, what they went through, um, I think uh, employment, right? Like, even within congregation, you got people within church families that have opportunities to hire, right. to have opportunities to impact policies around hiring. Um, and then like even politically, to raise the voice, amplify the voice of, you know, what's going on. We got people within our congregation or people associated to the congregation that can't get a job, that's trying to get a job. So leaning on using our political influence to change hiring policies, to get states and federal government to create better programming to help people actually transform. Um, and really showing how that, at the end of the day, that makes us all safer. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think we all want. We want stable, safe communities. Right. And so how, so, so there may be some folks listening mm -hmm. who don't have, say, your kind of testimony, mm -hmm. or who didn't come up in this region, say, when I did, you know, in the, sure. in the, in the, in the 80s or whatever. Sure. Um, and for them, they may feel almost as if they don't have the kind of credibility yeah. to work with folks because they haven't grown up in certain situations, sure. haven't gone through certain kinds of issues, sure. or, or maybe churches that don't even have necessarily those kinds of populations as inherently mm -hmm. in them. Mm -hmm. um, to talk a little bit to that. You know, that's that's a great point. And I often tell people sometimes those people can be the most effective mm -hmm. because, you know, I think people become a bit tone deaf to people like me, mm. right? Not even in a bad way, right. but just like right. that's right. what I'm always talking about. Right. Like, okay, we get it, right? right. But sometimes when people that, that, that have that has not been their experience, um, but they could talk about the, the, the reality of it is we a human family, right? Mm -hmm. And the, the what we've seen, the disparities, the racial disparities in terms of those incarcerated, uh, we've seen people be dehumanized, communities be dehumanized, uh, and, and create these perpetual cycles. If you have a soul, I feel like you should care about that, right? right? So know that you can play a role. You just gotta find what it is um, and what you do best. And, and I've often told people too, like, you know, even sometimes in terms of people's contributions, like I don't necessarily know, know if I'm saying you should have a group, not you, I'm saying that person, right? right. That you should pull up on a corner and deal with returning <laughs> citizens. Right. But what you can do, you can support the people that do that. Right. You can't say, hey, I'm going to send $50 a month or $50 every pay period to this certain organization that works on reentry. Uh, you, you may be an, an accountant or web designer or a lawyer, and you can lend your technical support to some of these organizations that's dealing in this space. I mean, it's a, it's, 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 it's a big pie, and I think you just got to find out where you fit. Uh, and I think you will find out where you fit if you just if you have that will um, to contribute. Right. And it's necessary, though, because, um, you know, again, a lot of times the people that are on the ground, if you will, the people that's really engulfed in this, um, there's certain doors that uh, the person on the outside can open, maybe that that person can't. Right. And I think we gotta look for those linkages and work together to to help. I mean, this is, a, we have, America has 5% of the world's population, 25% of the world's prisoners. You know what I mean? And in, in a country where 13, black people are 13% of the population, we have about 40% of the prison population. Wow. 
This is these numbers are staggering. One in three black men go to jail. One in eighteen black women. And that's another thing we, as mass incarceration has been sustained in our country. Um, I think so much of that pressure has fell into the black woman, whether mm -hmm. it's the girlfriend, the wife, or grandma, mm -hmm. aunties. Um, and it's really impacting them, I think, in a more severe way. And it's, it's even leading them to make the choices and decisions out of survival that's leading them to jail. So just imagine, right, what's happening to the children when mommy go to jail. Wow. You know what I'm saying? So those are all, again, these are things that are very prevalent. Um, and outside of just black people, when we're looking at poor white folk, when we're looking at our brown brothers and sisters, and particularly with immigration, um, you know, this administration's mm -hmm. kind of position on immigration, yeah. um, when you think about children with incarcerated parents in our country, uh, proud of people getting deported, they're detained. Right. And so that's incarceration. I think that's going to just drive that number up. Uh, and again, I think our public school systems all across this country, uh, what we did in D.C. was, was get DCPS to actually send out a form to uh, identify ACEs. Having an incarcerated parent was one of those things. Um, I'm moving this this year, this school upcoming school, we try to get that on the actual enrollment form. And I and I wanna I hope that we can model that that all across this country that question will be asked across the country, not to put kids in special groups, ostracize them or none of that, to be able to identify offer their family services. Right. Yeah. So I think that's the, the next step. Now, you are a Native Washingtonian, you yes, ride for your city, yeah. right? right? I mean, you ride for the city. Yeah. Um, a city that has seen dramatic change. Sure. Um, D.C., um, one of the studies just said, has been um, the hardest impacted city by gentrification Indeed. in the nation. In the nation, right? yeah. Um, and, 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 and so there's a lot to that. I want to come at that, even I was talking with you before, um, from the angle of reentry, mm -hmm. of what it means for people to be coming home from 15, 20 year, 10 year kind of way in prison, to come home to communities that aren't even there and families who have been displaced because a wonder report said that they can count 20,000 families at least that have been displaced Facts. out of DC as a result of gentrification sure, and, and, and how, um, how how that can throw you off kilter? How that can just, I mean your whole world is gone, and now you got to try to find out where your fa your family's now living, maybe in the suburbs or somewhere else, you know, in Prince George's County or one of these other areas. So talk about yeah. what what that's like to come home and your whole neighborhood is gone. Yeah, man, it's it's you know what's interesting is that you know uh, as you know. You know, I've been talking about that thing for a long time, but just because I see it, right? And I, I used to question, like, what? Why they don't understand what I'm saying? Or like, like that's it's not just my opinion. I'm right. literally watching this. Right. But and then so the post come out with that with that article with the data, right? So it's from 2000 2013, 20,000 families. And think about what that what that has been the last six years to added on to that. Right. And so a person coming home to his or her community that's no longer there, their network is no longer there. Right. Right. Their support system is no longer there. You know how I many people are actually releasing to homeless shelters in our city? Um, and if, to me, that's a public safety issue right. because if we want to impact recidivism, people need an opportunity to stabilize and then get, in, get engaged in programming. Right. Um, but if you don't have a, a home or family or no support, all the data tells us that's the most, uh, that's like the number one indicator to recidivism. Right. That right. the person will probably reoffend right. when they don't have that support. 
And so even down to back to like sort of the, your, your initial question about the church too, I think the church has to start to think about how what role does the church play. But we also in DC, the church is equally be, they've been in, impacted equally by the same thing. Right. If their members right. are leaving the city, they gonna have to leave the city. So now a lot of the churches are having to leave absolutely. The and, and the city has gotten hostile towards churches. Sure, so, because now the newer resident, right. they not really don't have any allegiances to the church right. or to those individuals coming home. Right. Most of the people that are, that DC has been the most moved to place like the last five years in America, right? Mm -hmm. So you got a city full of strangers. There's no connectivity to the problems because the problems in Washington are still, it's still chocolate city. 95% right. of the people that are incarcerated Native Washingtonians. 95% wow. of the homeless population, Native Washingtonians. 92% of the homicide victims. We had, we had 160 homicides last year. 150 of them were black people. You understand? So that that hurt, that pain. In a city that's no longer all black. Yes, the city is no longer all black. So the people that are moving here, that's not them or their families that's going through the issues. Right. For them, the city is a bustling metropolis full of you know, is, is a place where you can chase your dreams, you know? Um, and that's that's not, and that's great, right? So it's not like they should, you know, we should, we're not demonizing them for that. Right. But what happens is that you you can be blind to, 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 the, to all of the suffering that coexists, but the suffering is only going on amongst us. Right. And so that, that, that the reentry population, I feel like, um, it's impacted the most. I mean, even down to like, we know a lot of times, even with jobs, a lot of times people get jobs by who you know. But now the people that's hiring don't have no allegiance to you, no understanding, don't, they don't know you. Um, you're not their family member, right? You're not their cousin, you're not their friend. Uh, and so I think we have to, I've tried to be a bridge between the two worlds, try to raise, amplify the, 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 these issues of like, hey, we gotta do a better job of creating systems. DC does have um, by far like the best reentry supports in the country, but we also the only place in the country where, you know, you do all your time in the federal system. So we don't have any autonomy over um, interventions, training. So people aren't really being prepared to come home and be competitive in the most competitive job market in the country. Right. So it's just so many variables in there around, um, you know, why we gotta be very intentional and strategic in how we move around this population. And I say all that to say though, we still, we have had uh, some success, right? We have had people be able to come home and reintegrate, but um, I think more and more that uh, that's going to be a reality uh, in terms of people not being able to stabilize just because the city is moving so fast, right? Um, and, and, and then, you know, our, you know, if we were a state, we had the highest incarceration rate in the country. Uh, and so, what it's not a, without a shadow of doubt for me in my mind, you know, the, the, the sustained mass incarceration and premature death. Uh, really led to the level of gentrification that we see, though. Right. It really has. It really played a major part in this. This. Uh, this. This. We can't even compare what's happening in Washington right. anywhere else. It's, it's unreal. Um, and so I don't. I don't know what that means moving forward, right? right? In terms of unless we are again extremely intentional. Um, you know, we got a lot of a lot of thoughts about ways that we could maybe bring people back to DC jail, mm -hmm. uh, maybe one or two years. Uh, pre-release mm -hmm. and really run them through some interventions that's gonna prepare them right. to uh, you know meld into the job market right. and get their skill sets right. up but also it's gonna take the business community to adjust yeah, hiring policy yeah absolutely mm -hmm. absolutely and I think so if that if that conversation can be um, if the church can help to push on that mm -hmm. I think that's key you know I think I think the church has a, still has a tremendous amount of power and being able to you know um, 
And we gotta let people know. Ninety-five percent of people. This ain't even about letting people out early or whatever. Ninety-five percent of people in prison will return to the community. I mean, that's just the, that's just a fact. Right. So like, right. you know, so I I think it doesn't. You know, we 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 need. I was just you know I was saying about how I feel. I got two children, right? And um, you know, public safety has never been. It's always been important to me, but it's never been as important as it is now. Right. And this is a public safety issue. Right. You know, I know so many guys who who really want to do something. They don't want to break the law. Right. They do not. Right. They really want to go to work every day right. and take care of their families. Wow. And I and I feel like uh, we should afford people that opportunity. Right. Don't give anybody anything except the opportunity to do right. To do it the right way. So, I follow you, of course, on Instagram and social media. Um, tell the folks your Instagram. Yeah, at Mr. Tony Lewis Jr. So Mr. Tony Lewis Jr. That's on Instagram and Twitter, and uh, Tony Lewis on Facebook. Okay, so. I w there was a post you put up a few weeks ago, I think, and you were talking about uh, visiting your father. Yeah. Um, with your daughter. Yeah. And you were talking about how your daughter looked around the room. Yeah. And said, and what was it she said about the room? That everybody in the room looked like me and my father. And yeah. I was like, what you mean? Everybody, everybody black. It's, it's only two white men here. Yeah. And it was a, you know, you in different. Days, you know, we've been to visit whatever. The visiting hall ain't always like packed, right. but this Saturday the visiting hall was jam packed, and she was like on point. And I was just like, wow, like wow. Now how old is she again? Five. She's five. She's five. And what made her make that analysis? I don't know. It's not even like we were talking about that. Right. I wasn't wasn't talking to her. She kept looking away. We kept saying, Isabella, what's wrong? Like, what you looking at? And she was like, nothing. And then she looked. She was looking around, and she was like, and then she made that statement. I was like, oh my God. Talk about everybody in here. Yeah. Like everybody black. here black. Like everybody, every man that got one of these brown khaki uniforms on black. Mm -hmm. They look like it. Like, well, it was only two white men in here. And see, her, her the thing about it, her, her school was real diverse, right? Mm -hmm. And to her, right, that was like not fair. Not to, out of the lens that we say is not right. fair, mm -hmm. but just she's like, it ain't no balance in this room. Right. <laughs> she was right. Because I'm used to balance. Yeah, I'm used, I'm used to, to balance. It's all kind of people. All kind Absolutely. Of people Absolutely, it's a fact. All, all kind of, all kinds of like you know, my wife biracial. You know right. what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So even even within that, like right. my my father-in-law from Portugal and, and my and my mother-in-law Afro-Brazilian. So right. even even in our house, we got right. diversity, got right? Diversity you know what I'm saying? Right speaking right. speaking different languages and all that in my own, even in my house. But so 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 that's very much a part of their reality. Right. Um, and I think inadvertently, like, that's what she looks for. That's right. what's you know I mean that's her reality, right? So she made that assessment. We were like, I even know what the, what do you say back to her? I was like, yeah. Right, to a five-year-old. Like, wow. And my dad, like every he he he's he was like, he was like, slug, I cannot believe she said that. Like, I mean that but it was so on point. And that's I mean, but that's in many prisons across this country. I mean, that's what's happening. It's us. And you know, even down to like when you see white guys, they're typically older. Right. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And my experience, mm -hmm. you don't see a lot of young white dudes in jail. Now, maybe, obviously, we were in, like, maybe Kentucky right, or right, something like that. Right, you know what I mean? Right, California, right. maybe, you know what I'm saying? Because our, but, but in the federal system, though, right, you know what I'm saying? Because there's people, all, it's, it's right, the fact, it's people from all over the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah you don't see young, you don't see young white guys. You don't. And, you know, one of the things, too, that, that on that same visiting day, that made me, that sparked something in my thought pattern. I, you know, I always, I do the, um the toy giveaway for children with incarcerated parents. And my, my, my methodology working with my dad is for him to identify guys at his jail and we connect their 
children with the gifts. I give bikes and tennis right. shoe city always right. support it, right? We give them a bike and a pair of tennis shoes. Right. So the last time we did it, it was very interesting. We had like, I think 75 bikes and 75 pairs of sneakers. I think we had like 10 or 15 left over. And what it, what, it, what it represented is that a lot of these guys aren't as connected to their families or to their children as like they were when I was coming up. Mm. And so we in a visiting hall the other day, I just noticed how many grandmothers, we don't know when you see children, you would see the mother right. in the visiting hall. Right. Not so much anymore. Wow. So I don't even know what that's speaking to, but I know that it's speaking to it's something. something. It's something. Right. People aren't as connected. And my thought is that again, what I had, even though my dad was doing life in prison, I had he was around. He wasn't physically around, right. but he was a constant in my life right. to some degree, whether it was with information, you know what I'm saying, or whatever it was, encouragement or whatever. That was a part of my development, right. even from prison. And the first 13 years, he was all the way in California. Wow. But I'm thinking about these babies that are uh, 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 in the community today, not even having their dad or their mommy even from jail, mm -hmm. and all of that extra burden falling on our seniors. Right, right, right. You know, right. you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those are the kind of things that I get that again I, speaks to the need for us to do the best job we can right. to identify these families and to in turn support them because right. they need our support. Right. Yeah. No question. Now, right before I let you go. I want to pivot just a little bit, sure. Um, because I know all the work you're doing reentry, but I also know you're just a, a stand-up kind of community guy. Okay. Um, and there's a large level of grief in the community right now yeah. as a result of the passing of Brother Nipsey Hussle. Yeah. Um, strong rep, and for those who don't know, Nipsey Hussle is a rap artist, oh. but much more than a rap artist no because doubt. he was just a major philanthropist. He was he was very much about. Um, rebuilding community and had, had bought stuff in community, giving people jobs and all that. Sure. Um, he also spoke very highly in relationship with Sister Lauren London and, yeah. and, and just, you know, was very um, aggressive in the way he spoke about a healthy relationship, yeah. treating the children right, sure. you know, just all of that kind of stuff. He was really a brother who was really focused on personal growth and development and trying to grow and be better. And be no better. doubt about it. Um, he was recently shot and killed, tragically out in front of um, one of the various strip malls that he had purchased yeah. from the community yeah. um, in front of his own stuff. And so, you know, you're just watching this great level of grief. Folks who are grieving in some ways, and I would say even maybe in a large way, um, than when, say, Tupac and Biggie died in yeah. our generation. That it For sure. Us. You know, For sure. And, and Biggie passed. Um, what are some of your thoughts about just his passing, about Man. the tragedy of it, about how we need to wrap our arms around community in this moment, especially our young people? Yeah, it hit me hard, man. I had the opportunity to meet Nipsey oh, wow. uh, last year, almost to the date. Um, it was in April of last year at the Broccoli City Festival. He, he performed. And so a friend of mine from Philadelphia named Wallow was... Uh, was uh, in town for, for the fest festival as well. Him and Nipsey had a relationship. So he introduced us and I was in this trailer for like an hour prior to his performance. And he asked me and Wallow to come on, come on stage with him for his performance, you know? And just a solid brother, a real king. Uh, that was about development of, of his community. Um, you know, grow, he grew up in gang culture in, 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 in LA. Um, he bought property in his community, empowered his community, and outside of that, I mean, just things like cryptocurrency and STEM, mm -hmm. and you know, uh, just 
talking about moving the needle for us as black people. Right. Um, a powerful brother. And so his passing, uh, him standing for all of that, and, and, and for him to get killed in front of his store, right. uh, in a, a strip mall that he owns by a friend, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. By somebody that he knows, right? right? And I think for that, for me, it, 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 it frightens me. It's a microcosm of like what we really are up against as it relates to um, this immense self-hatred. Mm -hmm. um, and that it's not all of our fault, right? right? I believe that um, our existence in this country has led to that, right. um, from slavery to Jim Crow and just systematic racism and oppression, and that we always on this kind of crab in the barrel thing. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that Nip will not die in vain, mm -hmm. that that this will be a trigger for us to wake up and not in sort of that superficial, uh, we gotta be woke way. Right. And that we gotta love each other, we gotta do better, we gotta put down the guns, we gotta support each other way. Right. And that's one of the things he, you know, in his, la his last album, which was actually, in my opinion, the best album, um, it was nominated for a Grammy, it didn't win, but the best album of 2018, um, and he speak about that throughout the album, like let's get on one accord, let's build our community, let's show more love, all of these things. And you've seen, you mentioned about him with his family, um, and you know, you know, it's something when you become enlightened, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you you glow and you you start to know what what matters. Right. And and I know what it's like to come from a community where um, you're just in survival mode and you're seeing all this trauma and death. But when you're able to get through that, right. and you know, as me, somebody, I still live in my same house I grew right. up in. Right. So him not leaving his community, and right. I, I'm, I'm big on that, not leaving your community. Right. But then something like this happens right. in your community. Right. And, and But I think we have to remain vigilant in knowing that Nip, Nipsey wasn't wrong. Right, 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 right. He wasn't wrong, right? right. That person committed an evil act, but he wasn't wrong in trying to empower his community and not leaving his community. I think it, we have to follow his lead on that. And because he had enough that he could have gone anywhere. Oh, without question. And at this point, you know, we, we talking about reentry, right? What, I, what has came out, come out to, to, uh, recently is that he, he didn't have his security because he just left. He got a call that one of his friends came home from doing 20 years and he was supposed to be meeting him at the store to give him clothes mm, mm, mm. for when he came home. So he just ran to the store real quick without his team. And that's how he it kind of, yep, he was helping his man, trying to help his man who had just touched down after doing 20 years. Like that kind of, and I think that speaks to just who he was as a, as a person. Right. Yeah. And then a place though where, you, where he probably felt as safe. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. As safe, and I, I think that's that's the thing that weighs on me heavily, man. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, I think we all we all gotta, you included, like we all just have to be uh, have a heightened awareness, mm -hmm. and that hurt people hurt people, right. and that's why it's important to get as much love out here in the spaces as we can, right. because you know you just people on that air, on that ledge every day, mm -hmm. and I think that's why I take my work so seriously because I know that I see that every day that people are really. Uh, 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 an argument away mm -hmm. from throwing their hands up. Right, right, right. You know, because this this, this trauma is so constant in, our, in the lives of black men and women. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, you know, we all got we got to work on that.
We got to work on that. And I tell people all the time, that's why, you know, wherever you in your car, somebody cut you off, all that road rage, all those petty arguments, right. all that stuff. Just be like, right. leave that it's alone. Not it's not. And you ain't got to address everything. Right. Right. Sometimes you right. just let people keep right. moving because you don't know what that person going through. Yeah. So, um, yeah, God rest Nip's soul and God bless his family. Um, you know, Lauren London, their children, his brothers and parents. And, you know, his dad was a Eritrean. So he spoke a lot about having, you know, uh, just being in tune even with, you know, his his family in Africa and all that. Like, he just, the brother was a, was, a, was a deep brother, man. Uh, and I don't really, I got a chance to meet him, so that changed it too. But, like, I don't think any celebrity death, and I was the, probably the biggest Biggie fan in the world, right. but I don't know if any celebrity death impacted me like this one. Mm -hmm. Cause I feel, I feel, I felt. You know what I'm saying? He us. And, and I think the thing about this, mm -hmm. when Pac died, when Biggie died, talked a lot about their music. Mm -hmm. Talked about their life some. Right. But the it was majority music, and then some of their, their life. Yeah. With him. Yeah, man. Most of what people are talking about is his life. Somebody said I saw something <laughs> on Twitter where they said that like basically Pac talked about a lot of things he wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Nipsey did those things. Uh, <laughs> that's a, I that's think that's a, you know, what, yeah. He, he actually right. was doing, he was actually living in that, you and, know. And so what, that's amazing to me. Most of the articles you're seeing, et cetera, about him are like 10% about his music, 90% yeah. about yeah. his work, Indeed. about his life. Indeed. And, and I think that is what has been very touching. For me to see a brother, like you said, who's come out of gang culture, come out of certain way of lifestyle, who was able to grow in his music, in his life, and grow in front of the world yeah. um, in such a way. Yeah. It, it's just a tragedy yeah. that we're not able to see kind of that growth play out till his old age. Yeah. But where he would be. Yeah. And Foz Mainstream, age. yeah, come on. He, right. and he was, you know, because this whole thing was like uh, independence, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And this is, but this album was his first, like, major album and he went you know he was his trajectory he just went through the roof he was just in gq yeah. like a struggle you know what i'm saying masters, yeah all GQ, that like all talking that about things stuff. being um right. vertically integrated when, right. you, when you got a piece of every part of the play right. like this, this right. type of stuff yeah. when i remember when i went out to um last year when i went out to uh to facebook for the meeting with the chan zuckerberg initiative mm -hmm. um I was playing Nipsey Hustle. I got a, a little clip. I was playing Nipsey Hustle. I'm going for the biggest meeting of my life. I was playing Nipsey Record on my way in Palo Alto. You know, you yeah, it's no question. It's just because that victory <laughs> lap. He talking about all the things that we that we dream about and, and owning your own stuff and, right. and 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 again being vertically vertically integrated and and and, and not um, allowing people to 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 abuse you or take your what you create. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and then so like I think he was so he was a symbol of entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. of 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 all a community philanthropy, mm -hmm. all in, in in a very real way. Right. And I just hope that uh, again his legacy it will be um, that young men and women all across this country uh, follow his his example. Right. Yeah. So again, God rest his soul. Yeah. And, and I think the biggest thing, as we talk about it, for me is in this moment, I, I really want us to celebrate the victory of his life and not the tragedy of his death. Indeed. Right? Indeed. Um, and, I, and I think if we can learn those lessons and really stay focused on that, um, then it can help us yeah. to help steer young brothers and sisters in the right direction. Indeed. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah rest in peace, brother. Yeah, definitely. Well, Tony, man, I appreciate you, man. Are you I appreciate, appreciate you, bro. You are my guy. My man, you already um, know. Yeah, I mean, you so, know for real, for real. No question about it. So we appreciate
appreciate you. Thank you so much for coming on Hope Labs. Thanks um, for having me, man. It's cool. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, as always. Pretty dope. <laughs> and this won't be your last time, bro. Indeed. We got all kinds of stuff. To for sure, about, for right? sure. Yes, sir. Oh, tell people who, where to get your book. Oh yeah, Slug: A Boy's Life in the Age of Mass Incarceration. Amazon, iTunes. Uh, yeah, TonyLewisJr.com. Y'all get it. He's yeah. the man, Tony Lewis Jr. I'm telling y'all, you in D.C., he's a king. I appreciate My that. Man. My man. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you, yes, sir. Bless you.